Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening your eyes to a new view of life. I hope that you're having a great day. You know, there's so much to enjoy and be grateful for in life. And the way we approach each day can and does affect our mood, decision-making, courage, and effort in pursuing our passions in life. We all need a little positivity, don't we, and perspective to power ourselves each day. And that's why I listen to uplifting podcasts. And I hope it's the reason you listen to this podcast, Open Your Eyes. Don't ever doubt the power of setting your mind right each day. It has a lasting impact. So I hope today you'll hear something that can help you get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to your potential. And when you're done listening to this podcast, if you find some good ideas here, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share this podcast with a friend. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about this simple fact. You always have a choice. Now, if you're a geography trivia person, you may know the answers to these questions. What is the tallest mountain in Canada? Mount Logan, which stands at 19,551 feet. What's the tallest mountain in North America? Denali, also called Mount McKinley, which is located in south-central Alaska. It stands at 20,310 feet. Now, which has more 20,000-foot mountains, North or South America? That's right, South America. In the three countries of Argentina, Bolivia, and Peru, there are close to 100 mountains taller than North America's Denali. And as a result, these three South American countries are popular destinations for climbers from all over the world. In Peru, the most popular mountain is Mount Huascaran. At 22,205 feet in elevation, experienced climbers travel there to test their skills to reach the summit. However, that mountain is best known for the Ancash earthquake. On Sunday, May 31, 1970, an earthquake struck off the coast of Peru at an incredible magnitude of 7.9. Now, this powerful quake and its shaking dislodged a slab of rock on the north peak of Huascaran at about 20,300 feet. And this huge rock face fell about 2,000 feet before landing on a glacier. The tremendous weight of the rockfall dislodged the entire glacier and 33 million cubic yards of ice Dirt, mud, and rock plummeted down the mountain. For perspective, 33 million cubic yards is equal to 6.7 trillion liquid gallons. Well, below the mountain and the glacier was the city of Yungay. And two minutes after the quake struck, the massive mud and ice flow hit the city. Immediately, almost 18,000 people were buried. Only 400 people in the city survived. And several other cities were buried by the same avalanche. About 100 miles from Huascaran stands Suila Grande at almost 21,000 feet. And what made Suila Grande famous was not an avalanche or an earthquake, but what happened to two British climbers in June of 1985. Joe Simpson and Simon Yates, both young yet inexperienced mountaineers, struck out to do something that had never been done before. Summit the extreme west face of Peru's Suila Grande. The climb was ambitious, to say the least. In the middle of winter, the mountain was covered in deep snow, and the risk of storms and avalanches were extremely high. 
The climb had been attempted by expert climbers before, but no one had ever succeeded. But the two climbers, confident in their skills, set off to reach the top of the towering mountain peak. Well, on that climb, they climbed alpine style. That meant they carried little food or gear as they tried to reach the summit in a single push versus spending extended days on the ascent. They spent three days ascending through wind, snow, and plunging temperatures. They forged a trail through deep snow. And by the third day, things weren't going all that well. They were hypothermic and exhausted. However, they pushed through and reached the summit successfully. Now they enjoyed the thrill of their success, but only for a few minutes before the dread of the descent covered their thinking. Why? Well, because 80% of the deaths and accidents on climbs, like this one, happen on the descent. And as Simpson and Yates started their descent, a huge storm rolled in from the east. The two climbers hoped they could simply walk along the ridge of the mountain and descend along its ridge, but that path was too treacherous. And as the storm set in, they were in a wide-out blizzard. Exhausted from the days at high elevation, they were anxious to get lower on the mountain as quickly as possible. And things got even more desperate when they stopped that night on their descent at 20,000 feet. What they discovered? Their gas had run out and they had no water whatsoever. Well, when they awoke on day four with no food or water, they quickly continued their descent. The snow was often shoulder deep, and as they made their descent, there was really no known path off the mountain. Every step was dangerous because they could easily step into a snow cornice. A cornice is an overhanging edge of snow that extends beyond the mountain, looks just fine, but has nothing but sky underneath. Well, Simpson was descending below Yates, and he threw his right axe into the ice to get a hold, and when he did, the ice to which his axes and feet were attached disintegrated. He immediately fell. When he landed on a ridge below, he landed awkwardly, bending his right leg and pushing his tibia into his femur and crippling his knee joint. He also fractured his heel and his ankle. The pain of shattering his leg was excruciating. At first, he was in denial and tried to stand up on his leg, but he immediately realized it was impossible. He screamed in pain. Now, unaware of what was happening, Yates soon climbed down to his partner. And when Simpson told him his leg was broken, the expression on Yates's face told the entire story. You see, there was no way to get a climber off a 20,000-foot mountain with a broken leg. It was simply impossible. This high up, and especially in these conditions, both climbers knew Simpson was going to die. There was no way to carry him or drag him off the rock-covered face in this many feet of snow. And knowing this, Yates started to work on a plan. Instead of following the ridge, they would instead go straight down the 3,000-foot rock face. How? Well, Yates would tie a rope around Simpson's waist. He would lower him the length of the rope 150 feet. And then to maximize their time descending, he tied their two ropes together. And he lowered Simpson until the knot tying the two ropes together hit his friction device. There, he would stop. Simpson would stand on a good leg, taking the tension off the rope. And when Yates felt the rope slack, he would pull the knot onto the other side of his device and lower Joe again. 
And then when they hit the end of the rope, Simpson would stand on his good leg again and Yates would use his ice axes to descend to where Simpson was and they would start the lowering process all over again. After one hour, they had descended several hundred feet and it was 9.30 p.m. and darkness had set in. They knew they couldn't stop, but they couldn't see where they were descending. And as Simon lowered Joe, all of a sudden Joe found himself in open air. He had been lowered beyond an ice ledge and was hanging well away from the mountain face, and he couldn't reach the wall. Above him, Simon was holding the entire weight of Joe beneath him, and the knot connecting the two ropes was wedged tightly in Simon's harness, and he couldn't dislodge it. They were stuck. There they were, in the dark, with Simon holding the weight of his friend on a steep rock face, with no way to get the rope unstuck. All he could do was stand fast and hold on to his friend. After several minutes, the temperature had dropped, Simon's hands were numb, and they both yelled to each other, but because of the wind, they couldn't communicate. Joe tried to pull himself up on the rope, but his hands were too numb to climb. He could do nothing but hang in the air. Above, Simon was having even more trouble. His tiny foothold in the snow on a small ledge was beginning to slip and he knew he was about to plunge down the mountain and take Joe with him when he did. Then he remembered that he had a small knife in his rucksack. He could cut the rope. He knew he would be sending his friend below him to a certain death, but if he didn't choose to cut the rope, he would be falling along with Joe, and they would likely both die as well. There was no good choice. I mean, how do you choose? Well, that's the thing with choices. Sometimes it isn't clear or easy to make the right choice. And sometimes in life, we're unsure, so we don't make a choice at all. And some of us don't like to make a choice because the consequences sometimes are hard to live with, and it impacts us and others. Well, Simon faced a choice. Simon unzipped his pack, pulled out the knife, held on for as long as he could, and then made a choice. He cut the rope. The rope immediately released, and he knew what had happened. He was convinced that Joe had fallen to his death as a result of his choice. Well, exhausted and unable to move, he anchored in his bivy bag to the rock cliff and waited out the night. He was so thirsty and exhausted. Honestly, he didn't think he would survive the night. But in the morning, with the light of day, he descended. As soon as he descended a few hundred feet, he realized that Joe had been hanging over an ice ledge in the midair. And all he could see hundreds of feet below was a deep crevasse. And the crevasse appeared bottomless. There was no way for him to descend into the crevasse to find Joe's body and make it back up. And he thought it didn't matter anyway. No one could have survived the fall. So Simon descended until he made it to base camp. Well, waiting at base camp was Richard Hawking, a third member of the team. And when Simon explained what had happened, Hawking felt they should leave, but Yates needed a day or two of rest to regain his strength. After the following day and night, early the next morning, as the wind was howling outside, Simon heard a sound. It was someone shouting his name. He sprang up, climbed out of his tent, and started up a stream bed about 300 yards away. There he saw Joe crawling along the stream bed, dragging his broken leg. You see, when Simon had cut the rope 40 hours earlier, Simon found himself free-falling through the air. He hit the edge of a crevasse below, but crashed through the snow in such a way that he gently stopped. And he fully expected Joe to be falling with him, not thinking the rope had been cut, 
But when he gained his wits and inspected the rope, he saw that it had been cut. Well, the next morning when he awoke, he realized he couldn't climb up out of the crevasse and below him was only darkness. So he made a choice to descend into the darkness. About 70 feet below, avalanches had created a bit of a gentle slope and he followed this slope, dragging his broken leg behind him, which about 1 p.m. opened up. He could see sunlight and when he crawled further, it opened up onto the mountain. He knew where he was. He was about six miles from base camp. And little by little, he crawled home until he called to Joe, who found him. Needless to say, he had numerous surgeries and ended up writing a book of his experience. That book is called Touching the Void, and it became a bestseller and later a rather famous documentary movie. Here's the point. No matter what our condition, no matter what our circumstances, we always have a choice. And many of those choices aren't easy. But if we freeze or become paralyzed by those choices, we can end up losing our way. Choices, even difficult choices, often must be made. Life is full of choices. Just wander up to a Baskin-Robbins ice cream counter and you'll see a metaphor for life. What flavor's right for you? What will make you the most satisfied? Unfortunately, the consequences of most of life's choices linger longer than the sweet taste of cookie dough ice cream. And one thing is certain. The more we choose, the more likely we are to choose poorly now and then. We make bad judgments, lack experience, misread, misinterpret, and mistake the wrong thing for the right thing. And life is tough. Life teaches us that there are consequences for bad choices. And as a result, we may shy away from choices. We learn that choosing has consequences. We make financial investments without full information or using poor judgment. And when we choose poorly, we suffer losses. We make career decisions in haste. And if we do, it's the wrong decision. Again, we suffer consequences. Life is a harsh but very effective instructor. Life also tosses challenges our way that are beyond our control. Illness, a downturn in the economy, accidents or family hardships caused by the poor choices of others. As Longfellow wrote, Thy fate is the common fate of all. Into each life some rain must fall. Some days must be dark and dreary. And rain will fall on us all. We can't escape it. And it's not the fact that the rain fell that's important. It's what we did after we got wet that determines whether we'll be happy. The problem is that in the midst of life's storms, we sometimes get to thinking that we have no choice. I mean, you've heard people say that before, right? I've got no choice. I've got to do it. I've got to stay in the job. I've got no choice. I need the money. I've come this far. I have no choice but to see it through. Well, I've learned that is often not the case. What is often true is you can't change the cards you're dealt, but you can change how you play them. But for many of us, when we get in this circumstance, we avoid making a choice because we're afraid to choose. Sometimes you may not think you have a choice because the circumstances of one choice are daunting. They overpower you to the point where life looks like it's just a series of constraints and you don't feel that you have the power to choose. Perhaps we reach the point of helplessness because of overwhelming circumstances. But the truth is that our own way of thinking may be keeping us from evaluating choices in the right way. 
That's right. Our perception may be fooling us into not making a choice. Not long ago, one author described it like this. Which U.S. states have the highest auto insurance rates? Michigan, Montana, and New Jersey. Why? Well, Michigan law requires you carry unlimited lifetime medical benefits. Montana has the highest fatality rate per accident, and New Jersey has the highest number of accidents per person in the country. Now, when legislators in New Jersey pulled the voters, insurance rates topped the list of all issues. So the legislature went to work and passed a new law. You could choose a significantly lower insurance rate, but you had to cap the amount you could win in a lawsuit, or you could take higher rates and protect your right to sue in unlimited amounts. Guess what happened? Only a tiny minority chose lower rates. Legislators were baffled. What happened? What they soon learned was one of the most significant discoveries in the world of economics. It's called the status quo bias. It is this. When faced with a choice that involves an element of risk, the vast majority of people will choose what they have, the status quo. Now, this theory has been proven and reproven, tested and retested. Investors who inherit portfolios tend to leave those portfolios until after a major market decline. Then they often act selling when the prices are lowest and not reinvesting until after the market returns to higher levels, thus permanently losing. In one test, participants who were first given a Swiss chocolate bar were generally willing to trade it for a coffee mug, whereas participants first given the coffee mug were generally unwilling to trade it for a chocolate bar. Why? Because the coffee mug seems more permanent. The truth is, there are two sides to this status quo effect. One is bad, one is good. The bad is that to get people to move off of status quo takes more effort and work than you think. Many marketers learn this lesson early in their career. Customers choose what they are used to. Now, to get customers to change brands takes a lot of value and effort. And the converse is true. To get customers to stick with a brand takes less value or effort. That's why the famous saying goes, customers are, or business is, easier to maintain than create. Now, most people say they want to change their life, but faced with the status quo, they don't act. And we aren't immune from the status quo effect. When setting goals and making decisions about our own life, the status quo, just like gravity's pull, is hard to break from. It takes more energy and effort to break from the status quo. And we're often blind to this phenomena, living our life unable to choose or break free from the status quo. But here's what we can remember. We always have a choice. You can always choose another way. And often, that other way is not as risky or hard as you think. It may be difficult. It may take work or effort. But you can choose a different path. Here's a simple example. One of my favorite stories is this. A Christian missionary couple was called to Africa to serve deep in the heart of the continent. When they got to the coast, they were told that they would be taking machinery to a missionary center at their outpost in Zaire. And they had a whole truckload of heavy machinery. When they got the truck completely loaded, it weighed about eight tons. That was a problem. The road that led to where they were going passed over many rivers and many streams and over deep ravines. 
and the bridges were crude. They were made of logs tied together with vines. Some of the bridges had 3T on the sign next to them, meaning the limit was three tons. Some had 6T, but none of them had 8T written beside them. You see, the truck was just too heavy. The missionaries were deeply concerned. One said, what are we going to do about the weight on those bridges? We'll have to choose and leave some of the stuff behind. Well, the other missionary thought for a few minutes and realized he always had a choice. He said, there isn't anything we can do to lighten the load. We'll just have to reinforce the bridges. So that's what they did. They started out, and at each bridge, they would stop, and with considerable work, sometimes dangerous work, they would cut down trees and strengthen the bridge and rebuild it to the point where it would carry the eight tons. Thus, they delivered their supplies. Likewise, we always have a choice. Sometimes that choice may not be obvious, but we have choices. And here's the thing. When you do make a choice, even the difficult choice, it can be empowering. So what choices are you facing in your life right now? Is the fear of making a mistake keeping you from choosing one path or action? You know, our society seems to operate under the assumption that to succeed, we need to eliminate mistakes. But this is the wrong mindset. This mindset keeps us from trying something new that might be risky. Why? Well, because there's risk, we might make a mistake. And we often dwell so much on the possible mistakes that we don't ever attempt. In 1984, Daniel Kirschenbaum and three associates at the University of Wisconsin-Madison tested this concept among bowlers who were not experienced in bowling. Half of the bowlers bowled a game and then were replayed images, a video, of what they did wrong. The other half were shown repeated images of what they did well. The group that was shown the replays of positive things they did increased their average score by 11 pins higher in subsequent games than those who were shown negative images. You see, too often, our decision-making perspective can be overly focused on our repetitive failures or possible mistakes. And a focus on problems doesn't solve problems as much as a focus on solutions solves problems. So remember, we always have a choice, but that choice may require the positive view. Now, have you ever been at a dinner event and had the waiter tell you to keep your fork? If so, they told you to keep your fork because the main course was over and the dessert is on its way. In other words, keep your fork, there's pie or cake or dessert coming. Now, I love this imagery. Ever since hearing this simple concept, I always keep my fork. Even if I'm not getting dessert, I keep my fork on the table. Why? Because it's a perfect metaphor for life. Keep your fork. There is good things coming. And with that perspective, we make better decisions. You know, as the story goes, one woman even asked to be buried with her fork in her hand because she was still expecting the best was yet to come. And the same goes for us. We can expect that the best is still yet to come. And that perspective will improve our ability to choose, to choose wisely and courageously. Not long ago, the New York Times reported on a study done by two professors from the University of Pennsylvania. These professors used laser technology to measure the distance and success rates of more than 1.6 million golf putts 
of professional golfers on the PGA Tour. And what they learned is that when golfers on the PGA Tour are facing a 6 to 12 foot putt for par, they statistically make it more often than we're facing the exact same putt for birdie. Why? Well, for whatever reason, golfers feel a psychological need to avoid bogeys more than to make birdies. To the rational mind, this makes little sense, given that every shot is worth the same one point, regardless of whether you're shooting for a birdie or par. But in the player's mind, they step up more often to avoid having to score below par. This is understandable. In life, you see, we tend to work to avoid loss more than we work to gain. But imagine the golfer who could keep his same success rate on birdie putts as well as par putts. Using the statistics from the article, they would win more often. And according to the article, give the top 20 golfers about $1.2 million more in prize money each year. The same goes for you and me. It's time to choose, perhaps, to take a risk or two in our life. You know, I often hear people complain about how they dislike what they're doing. They complain about the same thing over and over again. Yet if you ask them, why don't they choose to do something about it? They often say, well, I can't do anything. Or they come up with reasons to justify why they haven't been doing anything. It basically sums up to, I don't have a choice. You know, Brian Tracy tells the story of the construction worker who opens up his lunch at noon break and unwraps his sandwich to find that it contains sardines. He gets really upset and complains loudly to everyone around him about how much he hates sardines. The next day, the same thing happens, a sardine sandwich. Again, he shouts and complains about how much he hates sardines for lunch. The third day, it happens again. Now, by this time, his fellow workers are getting fed up with his loud complaining. And one of those workers leans over and says to him, if you hate sardines so much, why don't you tell your wife to make you some other kind of sandwich? The construction worker turns to him and says, oh, I'm not married. I make my own lunches. The same happens to us all the time. We complain, but are unwilling to make a choice. Perhaps you're building a business and the members of your team aren't doing what they should to grow that business. Now you have a choice. You don't want to lose them, but you're tired of the constant inaction and you're complaining constantly about their lack of inaction. And you may feel like you don't have a choice. You do. You can move on. It won't be easy, but you can make the choice. You know, I get the feeling of not wanting to make a choice. I sometimes feel helpless or trapped. I felt this way before. But there is something liberating and energizing about choosing. Take the bold course. Decide to do what you know you can and should do. Choose to make the jump and change what needs to be changed. And if you keep thinking that you have no choice over the situation, that's exactly how it will remain. You will always stay as the person who is powerless over life circumstances. Nothing's going to change unless you and I and we take ownership for what's going on in our life. Well, as the famous saying goes, when you can't make up your mind, which of two evenly balanced courses of action you should take, choose the boulder. Here's why. We all need to feel energized and motivated in our life and business from time to time. Yes, there's risk, but with risk comes reward. 
And the reward just might be an invigorated and more positive you. Plus, life is short. Choose the bolder path. There's much to learn on that path. And perhaps the life you were meant to live will come your way by choosing the bolder path. You know, as you get older, like me, you can look back and see the consequences of choices in life. Sometimes you even wish you had made different choices. I can tell you for me, every time I reflect on my life's choices, I wish I had been bolder. I can't think of a bold decision, even those that didn't turn out like I wanted, that I wouldn't make again. But I can tell you a number of choices I wish I had made with more courage and boldness. This view and age in general helps us realize the good things that come about from good choices. You may have heard the story about the man who was the mayor of his town, and he was invited to be the grand marshal of the town's local parade. And he and his wife were riding down Main Street at the head of the parade in a vintage convertible. And while they were there, waving at the various people in the crowd, the mayor spotted his wife's former boyfriend who owned the local gas station. He chuckled and said to his wife, aren't you glad you didn't marry him? If you had, you'd be working at the gas station. Upon which she replied, no, if I had married him, he would be the mayor. Yes, we can see the outcome of life's choices, and that perspective can inform our future choices as well. So, if it's true that you always have a choice, then what choice or choices need to be made in your life today? Perhaps you need to choose to stop doing a few things so you have time to pursue what will make you a better person. Perhaps you need to choose differently each day to break with a bad habit. Perhaps you need to find the power to choose differently in the moment of choice. Remember, mood has more to do with our decision-making than we might think. A few years ago, an author shared a study reported in the Journal of Consumer Research. And in this study... 365 college students were asked to participate in research to determine the effect of mood on decision-making. They were divided into several different groups and shown different video clips that were intended to create a positive or negative mood. Then the students were asked to move to a different room to complete a questionnaire. While there, they were given a choice of a healthy or non-healthy snack. And not surprisingly, those who were shown the positive mood video selected the healthy snack significantly more often. Next, the researchers changed the population of students to see if students with different levels of physical fitness would choose differently, meaning if those who paid more attention to their fitness level would make healthier choices. But the result was always the same. Mood won out almost every time. Mood is powerful. Let's face it. Sometimes we feel like it, and sometimes we don't. We make a lot of choices each day based on mood. And if we were to stop and think about how many decisions are influenced by our mood, we'd likely be surprised. So, as we end today, remember, you always have a choice. Sometimes life or circumstances do place us in a position when it seems like we're trapped. But we have a choice. Remember the missionary couple. Perhaps you need to choose something that takes work, but in the end, for which you will be grateful. And it may be time to make the bolder choice, to purposefully act against mood and the status quo in your life. If you don't feel like it, that very mood and feeling may be telling you to choose it anyway. 
Your best life is found on the other side of today's difficult choices. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.